federal politics uh, is dealing with the problem of politicians and staff behaving badly, using their privilege and position to indulge in all sorts of rotten, self-satisfying behaviour. But it's not a recent problem. It's a problem that's been going on in every society for thousands of years. Leaders who are supposed to serve take advantage of their power and serve themselves. And through its history, Israel was no different. Uh, like in Ezekiel's day, 6th century BC. Listen to the way Ezekiel described the leaders of his time. Leaders who were only interested in feathering their own nests. Uh, it's Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel, who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds care for the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. That was God's word to the leaders of Ezekiel's time. Imagine a shepherd who doesn't just ignore his sheep, but he actually uses them for his own food and comfort. It's tragic. It's what Israel's leaders were guilty of. And so God promises that he will shepherd his people. He will be the shepherd that his leaders weren't. Verse 11 of Ezekiel 34. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. And how was he going to do that? Well, at a human level, he was going to do it by sending another leader like King David, someone who would, shepherd, uh, who would be the shepherd that God was, who would look after the people the way that God did, who would work with God. Uh, a little bit further down, we're still in Ezekiel 34, verse 23, God promises, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend or shepherd them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So here we've got God, 6th century BC, he's promised a shepherd for his people, someone to care and look after them, to feed and protect them. And so that's what the people of Jesus' day were waiting for. They were waiting for this shepherd. And Jesus recognises it. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, he, he's crossed the lake, he lands there, and he sees a huge crowd who've run from where he left. They're desperate and helpless and lost. And we read in verse 34 of Mark chapter 6, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. No one to guide, no one to protect them, no one to provide for them. That's what Israel was waiting for. Another King David, a true shepherd. But it's not King Herod. He's the puppet ruler to the Romans. He's not even Jewish. He's only interested in building great palaces for himself and hosting great parties. 
It's not the Pharisees. They're more interested in tying people up with rules and regulations than they are in genuinely feeding the people. But then Jesus arrives. He's come to be the leader God promised. He's come to be the chief shepherd. But as the chapter begins, it's not the sort of rule that the people are expecting. And his hometown are worse than anyone. Because no one gets him more wrong than they do. He starts preaching in Nazareth, verse 2, and the news of his miracles has come before him and they recognise his wisdom and authority and they've heard about the miracles but it just doesn't compute. They can't connect what they're seeing and hearing with the boy they knew growing up. The one with the grazed knees. The one whose sisters and brothers are still walking around with them. Where did he learn all of that from? And verse 3 says they took offence at him. The one God sent to be their shepherd. But to them, they're just shrugging their shoulders and he's no different to anyone else. And the result? Because they didn't want anything to do with this king, the kingdom he brought passes them by. Verse 5, they missed the king and so they missed the kingdom. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people, a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Out of the whole town there's only a few with the faith to come to him in humility, in expectation. The rest just dismiss him and he's amazed. But interestingly, What Jesus doesn't do, his disciples do. Verse 7, he sends them out to the neighbouring towns, two by two, as his representatives, and he gives them his authority over the evil spirits. It's just a quick training trip. It's like work experience. (laughs) There are no time for luxuries. Verse 8, only take the bare necessities. Verse 10, take the first offer you get for a bed. Don't be fussy. Verse 11, don't hang around if they're not interested. Time is limited. Just treat them like Gentiles. Shake the dust off your feet and and move on. There are plenty of towns. If they're not interested, it it shouldn't be unexpected because if people have rejected the leader, you can be sure that they'll do the same for the follower. And so they did. They went out and they did all the things we've seen Jesus doing. They preached to the people uh, so that people would repent. They drove out demons. They healed sick people. These are the chief shepherd's assistants doing their own shepherding, feeding the people, bringing in the kingdom that God has promised. And they're attracting plenty of attention. Just like Jesus, healing, driving out demons, it draws a crowd. Uh, Verse 14... Word gets back to Herod. And there are all sorts of theories about who these disciples are proclaiming. Some that he's John the Baptist, that Jesus is John the Baptist, or perhaps Elijah. He also preached, he also did miracles. Or or some other prophet. And Herod's vote, when he hears about it, is that John the Baptist has come back to life. Now, 
At the mention of John the Baptist, Mark drops in a flashback, an explanation for why Herod thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. Because sometime before, Herod had John the Baptist put to death. Could have been months before, we don't know. But Mark chooses to describe it here, in the middle of chapter 6. Why? In fact, it almost seems, uh, for the modern reader, I think, as if it shouldn't be there. Take it out and listen to how the story goes. Uh, read, I'll read verses 12 and 13 and then I'll jump straight over Herod and John the Baptist to verse 30. So verse 12, The twelve went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Verse 30, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught. And then we move on. It's puzzling, isn't it? Until we remember this is a technique that Mark likes to use. It's this sandwich technique, I've called it, unofficially. Uh, He begins with a story, tells another story, and then comes back to the first story. Uh, We saw it with Jesus' mother and brothers in chapter 3. There was another little story in between, and then we come back to them. We saw it with Jairus' daughter in chapter 5. We begin with Jairus, then the woman who's healed of bleeding, and we come back to Jairus. And he's doing it here again in chapter 6. This is Mark's way of holding up two different facets of his portrait of Jesus. Two different aspects. Uh, We're to compare the two stories and make some uh, uh, resolutions about what we learn from, from both side by side. Here I think we've got Mark wanting us to compare two shepherds. Mark wants us to compare two shepherds. We've got Herod and we've got Jesus. We've got two kings and we've got two feasts. Can you see them now? Uh, One king who feasts in luxury to satisfy himself. The result is a sickening murder. He doesn't care for the sheep under his care at all. The other king feasts simply. He includes all of his flock. There's plenty for everyone and he has compassion on his sheep. One king is a false shepherd, satisfying himself. The other king is a true shepherd, sent from God in David's line to feed his sheep. So now Mark begins by telling us about the false shepherd. Uh, Verse 17, sometime before, John the Baptist had criticised Herod. He'd taken a new wife. The problem was she used to be married to Herod's brother. She divorced the brother to marry Herod and that's against the Jewish law. But when John pointed that out, Queen Herodias didn't take too kindly to that. Herod uh, put John in prison. But Herodias still wanted, uh, wanted him dead. And so verse 19, he was a marked man and Herodias was waiting for the right time, which finally comes in verse 21. The king has a banquet, uh, a sumptuous feast, And all the important people are invited, but none of those who are not. All those living the high life at the expense of the sheep, the government officials, the military commanders, the wealthy landowners. We've got the power of government, the power of the sword, the power of wealth. Uh, Now, this is no formal business lunch either, is it? It sounds more like a bucks party to me. Herod's stepdaughter comes in and dances for them and everyone loves it, especially Herod. 
but he foolishly speaks before he thinks and he promises the girl anything she wants. Now verse 24, she is wiser than her stepdad. She checks with mum. Herodias jumps at the chance and goes for the throat, literally. Ask for the head of John the Baptist. And she does. Herod's stuck. His pride is as great as his foolishness. He can't back down in front of his friends. So he gives the order. Herod's executed. Verse 27. Herod keeps his honour. Herodias gets her revenge. John loses his head. It's an awful story, isn't it? Just leaves a yucky taste in your mouth. It sums up what false shepherds are all about, I think. It paints a picture far better than some long list of sins. These are shepherds who care more about their own stomachs, their own pleasure, their bank balances, more about satisfying their passions and maintaining their pride than they do about the sheep they're supposed to be caring for. It's what we're seeing in the news at the moment, isn't it? It's that sort of behaviour Jesus has come to save us from. He's nothing like that. So we switch back to the present. Verse 30, the disciples arrive back from their mission. We're now going to find out about the second king, the true shepherd. As they describe their mission, they're just overjoyed. They, they gather around Jesus like excited schoolchildren. They got so much attention on the trip that, that people are still following them. But popularity has been something Jesus has run from because it means that people are there for the wrong reasons and he can't preach. People there for the wrong reasons get in the way. He can't tell them what his kingdom is really like. And that's what's happening here in verse 31. There are so many people demanding their attention that the disciples can't even eat and Jesus is concerned for them. He takes his disciples away for a rest and some food. (laughs) The shepherd caring for his sheep. Doesn't seem to do much good. The crowd is insistent. The boat leaves one shore, glides into another place, but the crowd have run to get there ahead of him. And that says something. Jesus looks at them. He looks at their expectation. He, He looks at the desperation in their eyes. This longing for for healing. For, for guidance, for wholeness, for relief. And what's his attitude? It's the same we've seen again and again, verse 34. He has compassion on them. He feels their pain. Why does he feel that way? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're vulnerable. No guidance, no pasture to feed on, no protection from the wolves. They need a shepherd. Is that what we see as we look at the people around us? Compassion, do we see sheep without a shepherd? Friends, acquaintances, workmates whose lives are taken up with accumulating pleasure and possessions and power. Saving for this holiday, holiday, chasing that cheap thrill, selling their soul for the next job promotion. That's all they can see that life's about. 
no idea where they've come from or why they're here or where they're going? Do we see them as sheep without a shepherd? Jesus is the only shepherd who can give them direction and purpose and satisfaction, who, who can shepherd and feed and protect and tend them. Do we look at our friends the way Jesus does here? The people need a shepherd. And, and so what does Jesus do? He teaches them many things. That's their greatest need. Many things. Many things. The day is dragging on. And the disciples' stomachs start growling. Remember the reason they left the, the last place? They, because they hadn't had anything to eat. <laughs> so I can imagine they're, they're even hungrier. So verse 35, the disciples come to Jesus. Um, this is a remote place. It's already late. Send everyone home so they can get some food. Us too, perhaps. Uh, but Jesus has a plan. He's not just being a shepherd. He's going to show them what type of shepherd he is. He's God, their shepherd king. And so he says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. That would take eight months' wages and we'd only get a crumb each. Do you want us to spend all of that? Jesus asks how much food they've got. Five loaves, two dried fish. It's enough food for Jesus to show what type of shepherd he is, that he provides. He gets everyone to sit down on the green grass, just like contented sheep, just like Psalm 23, describing God who leads his sheep to lie down in green pastures. Jesus thanks God for the food and then the disciples hand it out. And there's a miracle, there's enough for everyone. There's so much that the disciples who are also on clean-up duty, they fill their bags with leftovers. Now that's a shepherd who provides in a way that only God can do. Well, the day ends, Jesus is exhausted, he needs to reconnect with his father. He sends the disciples back across the lake. Uh, without him, he heads up the mountain to pray. Uh, Mark picks up the story again somewhere near daybreak, between 3 and 6 a.m., verse 47. Jesus looks out across the lake, perhaps the sun's just starting to peak its way above the, the, the hilltop. And he sees his disciples straining at the oars. The wind is against them. They're getting nowhere fast. And he has compassion on them again. He wants to comfort them. He wants to relieve their suffering. That's what shepherds do. And he's going to reveal himself again as the true shepherd. Because they've missed it before. Uh, this is the remedial lesson. Verse 52, it says they didn't understand about the loaves. They'd missed the lesson. And so he goes walking on the water so that they'll recognise him and they'll be comforted. And we're told he walks past them to show them that he's there, to show them who he is. Why past them? Why not just straight to them? I wonder if it's not to remind us of how God passed in front of Moses in Exodus 33 when Moses was scared. When Moses didn't feel like he could do what God wanted, God showed him his glory and he passed by to show Moses how majestic and mighty and holy he was, to comfort and strengthen him. 
And that's what Jesus does. He passes by. And just like with Moses and God, he says in verse 50, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. He even uses the same name God calls himself uh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I am. And just to make the identification complete, he, he hops into the boat and the wind obeys the one who created it. It submits, it bows down before Jesus and it stops. And once again the disciples are amazed. Verse 52 says it's because they were amazed because they didn't understand about the loaves. Which I think means they missed the significance of the loaves. They didn't miss there was a miracle. No one could deny there was a miracle. They missed what the loaves were saying about Jesus. God did miracles through lots of men, through prophets like Elijah. But the disciples missed that this was God himself doing the miracles. It wasn't simply God working through a prophet, but God himself walking on the water. God himself calming the wind. He promised Ezekiel that he himself would be Israel's shepherd and that he'd send David's descendant as a shepherd. And that's Jesus. But Both of those is Jesus. God the shepherd, David's descendant the shepherd, making food, showing compassion, walking on water, calming the wind. Jesus, the glory of God who passes by the disciples to show them who he was, to comfort them. Here is the ultimate, infinite, holy, eternal, majestic God of the universe. The one who created bread, who walked on water, who controls the wind. Only God does those things. We get this big view of God, but at the same time, don't we get this lovely, small picture of that same awesome God who cares enough for his disciples to take them away from the crowd to rest and eat, who cares enough to provide food for his sheep, who cares enough to, to identify and comfort and strengthen his disciples on the lake. If you're one of God's family, then Jesus is your shepherd too. Mark's words are for your comfort. Jesus is the God of the universe, the one who is your shepherd, who will keep you from harm, who is always at work in your life, working out his purposes, even in the small details. Those ones where you wonder if it's worth troubling him about, he is interested in your small details. He is your shepherd. You can trust him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a, a lovely picture we have uh, of Jesus in these verses. We pray that you would help us to trust him as our shepherd as we walk through our life, as we walk through dark valleys. Uh, help us to trust uh, that he will lead us beside quiet waters and into green pastures. Uh, and we pray uh, that we might honour you as we do that, that we might uh, help us to show the compassion that Jesus has uh, for the people around us.
who also uh, who are like sheep without a shepherd. Amen.